Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am your host this week, Len Hafer, and I am joined by our good friend, Rowan Kaiser. Good morning. And by Fanbyte's senior managing editor, Stephen Strom. Hello. Thank you for having me back on. Yeah, when was the last time you were you were on here? <sighs> was that Darkest Dungeon 2? That yeah, point, it probably so. was. Yeah, that was also Jason Wilson's like return from the void. <laughs> <laughs> After like the we we actually looked it up and he hadn't been on since like 2013 or something before. Oh that. my god. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh so this is going to be a little bit less of a structured episode this week. We're going to try out something a little bit new, which is more of a kind of uh, evening chat with 3MA sort of episode uh, where we're not really talking about a specific game or a specific game mechanic or like a specific way that games model history or anything like that. Um, we're just going to go through some smaller bite-sized lightning round kind of topics and uh, kind of talk about what we've been playing, what sort of strategy game stuff we're looking forward to, um, things that are you know going on in the world of strategy games right now uh that are interesting um but i believe uh steven and rowan you had uh you had a discussion the other night that you thought might be interesting to kick this off with yeah so steven approached me and was like hey i've been having a management game itch what's a good one And, Did they make any you know, good ones? Have they ever made a good one? <laughs> Who knows? I, no, there are no good good management games. Uh, three moves ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Down. <laughs> <laughs> Every good management game is made by an asshole with a singular vision. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I listen, you say that. I Literally, the first game I asked you about was RimWorld, and then I looked at the lead designer's tweets. <laughs> uh yeah yeah um that's uh i still haven't gotten into rim world i know everybody keeps pestering me to try it out but uh, it's not necessarily that everyone pesters you to try it out it's that you say things like as soon as someone manages to make an accessible dwarf fortress they're gonna make a lot of money i i will tweet i will i'll have like a nine tweet thread that's like i really wish this game exists and like four people will reply uh it does and it's called rim world um and i still haven't played it yeah so, I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to get motivated to play it because, you know, sometimes you will come across the lead developer and like basically only developers uh, Twitter account. Uh, John Boldig has like a theory that he's mentioned a few times in terms of these like survival uh, strategy games or city builders where it's extremely rare that a game that's made by like a team actually succeeds. And that doesn't mean that all the people who singularly do it are assholes, but like banished was made by a solo developer. Dwarf fortress is made by like a dude with his brother sitting over his shoulder and saying, Hey, what if we did this? Mm. And Rimworld is made by a solo developer. And that, you know, leads to all kinds of solo developer quirks, things like Rimworld, not believing that bisexual women exist. Um, and yeah, or bad just, news for them. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or um, just, or just like 
we get excited about these survival strategy games that are made by like famous teams like uh, Clockwork Empires, and they just kind of flame out because they're being pulled in 16 different directions at once. Yeah. Um, that said, I do think a lot more is going on in that space, even within the last year or so. Uh, we did a show on like the whole the whole subgenre, I think, in 2018 or so. But there's basically a bunch of games have been like, what if RimWorld, but not evil. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we could talk. We could talk about some of those, and and also, you know, see. See what itches Steven specifically wants to have scratched. Yeah. It's that kind of show. That which is perfect for me because I have like in my life like 12 games where I'm always just like, oh, I just wish I could recapture the feeling of playing that game all over again. I wish I could just hit myself over the head with a crowbar and just mm-hmm. play Subnautica for the first time again yes. or play Darkest Dungeon <laughs> for the first time again or whatever. Uh and I think games like uh a couple of management type games i think BattleTech is really very high in that uh regard like kind of the idea of having a ragtag group of people who is always on the move that is on the back foot but progressively getting stronger as you kind of like manage the risk darkest dungeon follows into that but darkest dungeon kind of the original one obviously not the sequel um kind of splits the difference between those two in my head a little bit sometimes just because it has a little bit of that base building stuff at home um rim world i think was like is one of those games too where i haven't played it myself but it was like very much me thinking uh i should probably try this at some point huh like this this really does feel like it would um scratch that kind of exact thing that i want which is to just like have this kind of almost infinite number of things that can go wrong and try to and also an almost infinite number of ways to try and reduce the risk of those things going wrong and like that kind of like rubbing away the friction that it throws in my path kind of thing is a thing that i'm really really interested in really enjoy actually it downloaded i have not i or i booted it up but barely touched it uh a game that you linked last night, Rowan, a Star Sector in the uh, 3MA Discord, because uh, that looked like it oh, maybe yeah. would fit some of that for me too. Yeah, well, a, a good person for following on Twitter for just linking random games and strategy games sometimes, particularly, is Dominic Terrason, who we should probably try to get on the show sometime. Um, I, I think he writes for Rock Paper Shotgun and some others. Uh, but yeah, I, he just linked this saying that it was like Mountain Blade meets Mech Warrior. And I was uh-huh. like, well, this is something that the 3 yeah. Discord would be interested in. <laughs> I don't think I've successfully gotten anyone else into Mountain Blade, at least not as deep as I got into it. But uh, I don't know, was it Fraser that played quite a bit of it? But. Like yeah, I think Fraser, Fraser did, yeah. but I uh, like kind of just was like, this is basically early access, so fuck off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, it's he's perfectly within his rights to do, but also it makes it difficult to put together a show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like, you know, Steven's talking about a bunch of different styles of games and like an interface way but they have some major similarities and these are like the sorts of games that i get obsessed with uh and the two major similarities are the sense of danger and i think the 
extremely customizable or like buildable characters similar yeah. to an RPG, but like not quite, not quite that you're just trying to sort of min max specific stats in certain ways, but it's about like how they bump into each other and interact with each other and how you can fill in the voids of your team. It's uh, you know, championship manager is another game that does these kind of or football manager these days, really aging myself there. Uh <laughs> I think that license got sold in like 2006. Uh, I have never until this moment heard that it was called something else before Football Manager. You didn't get obsessed with Championship Manager 97, 98 when the World Cup happened? And wow. Yeah, I I knew only only from being on this show long enough did I know that there was uh, an earlier iteration. But yeah. I think the very first incarnation came out in 94, actually. But yeah, the the idea of building a team where your characters, personalities and like statistical strengths actually mesh with one another or when they don't mesh, you have to deal with the fallout from that. Uh, So, yeah, you get that in a survival strategy game like RimWorld where, you know, I'd like to tell the story about how I got a guy who was like super excellent at combat and basically had like no social skills or completely anti-social skills and i built him a shed like all the way across uh (laughs) the on the other side of my little compound and occasionally had food delivered to him and even still he managed to just randomly attack one of my other characters and kill them and i was like all right this guy's just gotta go he's (laughs) the benefits Uh. of having the insane ninja are not outweighed by uh (laughs) The, the drawbacks here. See, JRPGs should have taught us that because they all, <laughs> there's always a weird ninja character who doesn't get along with the rest of the group. That's yeah, but true. usually he's got a heart of gold. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's that's fair. You need you know, that needs she, to be like a hidden trait that you can have. But. She she betrays the party once, and then she realizes that they're actually her real friends. <laughs> I think it was more than once. I'm thinking of the same person. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, See, I've been over here thinking about Final Fantasy 4, and I'm just thinking about Edge. It's just like, wait, the womanizer character? Like, well, here's the, here's the funny thing is I was originally thinking about Final Fantasy 6, and Rowan immediately went to Final Fantasy 7, and you immediately <laughs> went to Final Fantasy 4, which just proves my point that this character exists. <laughs> in every jrpg Uh, Um, there's always a lighthouse there's always a ninja (laughs) exactly yeah um yeah so it's interesting because i think that is kind of like what sets like a darkest dungeon type game apart from something just like xcom 2 where like the, the soldiers don't really have personalities like they have they have a nationality. I mean, we've I've been playing a lot of Chaos Gate Demon Hunters, which we're probably going to talk about two weeks from now on the actual feed, because uh, next week we have something kind of uh, cool uh, <laughs> lined up um, where it's like, yeah, these guys, I can I can give them whatever armor I want and like I could kit out all their abilities, but like their personality is just they really, really they all really like to purge heretics. That's <laughs> yeah, that's kind of all they're about. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, uh, what was that other that was like the retro style um, space adventure 
that had like the the timeline based battle system. What was that called? Star Renegades. Yeah, yeah. Which was interesting. Which I believe was also a show Stephen was on. It was. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because I I feel like that was playing with some of the same concepts, except the characters weren't randomized and they were kind of set up to bump off of each other in specific kind of story driven ways, um, as opposed to sort of the dynamic stuff that can happen in in some of these other uh, like either where the characters are randomized or you design them yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Star Renegades, they, they there was a little bit of sort of dynamism and like you know proc jenny type stuff between them but then it was mostly writing and one of my problems with that game is the writing wasn't very good or at least not (laughs) what i wanted um and i think that like your point about the like uh the chaos gate stuff is like really sticking with me now too because like i've been staring at it on steam recently thinking like oh i could really go for that exact thing that threat management risk management type stuff Mm -hmm. with um that but then like Every time they just start talking about come at me, Xenos, I'm like, right, I have played a Warhammer game before. That's right. Yeah, I've, I kind of know exactly who these guys are before I've even played it. Yeah, yeah this is this is not a game. I, I just started it in the last couple of days. And it's it's definitely not a game where like character customization is a major aspect <laughs> of it. But it's got a lot of the other stuff that I dearly love. But like. Yeah, the the person who made the 150 XCOM characters for uh, X-Men characters for the Long War 2 is not doing the same thing with her uh, her Space Marines here. <laughs> right. And it's like I try I try to impart some personality like I had this I had like one squad that like had just this absolutely disastrous mission where everybody got critically wounded and we totally failed. And it's like, okay, I'm going to make them all like their left shoulder plate is going to be a giant skull. So I will remember (laughs) that that, you know, these are the guys that almost all died on that really bad mission and they rose from tribulation. And it's like, but yeah, that's, this is, this is me really going out of my way to invent a story and personality for these people. The game is not helping me (laughs) at, at all in that regard. So, yeah. 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 Sometimes I just needed yeah, to the, meet me halfway. The customization o- option is: Are they wearing their helmet or not? That's pretty <laughs> yeah, much what? it. Yeah, you could have the little weird visor thing on the left side or the right side. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, you want skulls? Do you want swords? Do you want skulls and swords? Uh, there's yeah. You could have a book with a skull and a sword on it. That's okay. You know, this guy maybe is a little bit more erudite, you know, so. Um, so is it. So, so we've talked about customization a little bit. Another thing that you mentioned that, uh, Stephen, that that um, I think I also really enjoy is that idea of like smoothing out friction. Um, if you're looking for another game that does that, is there one that that you think did it really well in the past that, that was, you know, something that really caused you to latch on to that sort of a mechanic? I think honestly, uh, actually, two games that came out like within a week of each other in 2018 were um, both kind of opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like the scale of what you were dealing with. But Frostpunk and uh, Battletech are both like ingrained in my mind as like very, very good at that with like 
Battletech is much more about like the the budgeting of not just like your literal budget, which is a thing, but I, I do like the idea of a group on the move that is like just trying to scrape together enough money to uh, get to the next thing. And to do that, they need to, um, you know, get increasingly bigger robots to punch each other um mm-hmm. that can take a little bit more of a hit so that they don't cost as much money so that they can move on to the next thing and make more money um frostpunk is kind of the other way around that with like obviously it's very set in a single place um but i do like the idea of you know just the game constantly throwing curveballs your way or attempting to throw curveballs your way and like trying to see like okay what what's you, what's your preferred method of dealing with this yeah i i <clears throat> It's it's interesting because I I really like that aspect of BattleTech too, and it it also is sort of like my favorite part. BattleTech like, two, BattleTech two. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's that's what we're announcing next week is BattleTech two. Listen, um, no, <laughs> you can't you can't toy with my emotions that way. <sighs> I that game should have gotten like so many more story expansions. I was just waiting for the clan invasion expansion to drop, and it never. Uh, it never did. It's but. weird because they set up this foundation. They're like, here's uh-huh. the system we're going to use. And here's our initial story of it in almost exactly the same yeah. way they did shadow run. And then it was like, oh yeah, um, this engine actually is kind of completely busted. We're doing right. something else now. <laughs> you yeah. Can, yeah. Like a lot of I, mods. I will. know somebody. Oh. I, I know somebody who is actually like trying to be the BattleTech speedrun king, and he has to plan out when he's going to quit the game and reload because the memory leak causes so much. Oh issue. no! Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. that's <laughs> that was actually what I, what I was going to say too. Is like there's a there's a really or not so much anymore, but there was a really vivid mod scene for that game that was adding exactly that stuff of like clan wars and evolving like star maps and stuff like that, where like conflicts and factions would uh, mess with each other. There was three kind of big major mod suites uh, based around different eras of the BattleTech universe, and one of the problems is all of them take 27 hours to load a single map because that engine is so <laughs> messed up. Oh no. Yeah, it's 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 one of the things I really liked about BattleTech that also, you know, Shadowrun, the Shadowrun RPGs kind of try to do this. I don't think it works quite as well because they're more linear, you know, story-driven CRPGs. Um but even something like Witcher 3 or like um uh what's the big uh elite like elite dangerous like they all have that sort of element of i am just like barely paying my way to the next job yeah um that i like that in in any genre of games um and there are some strategy games that have have taken a crack at it that have either done it really well or they end up just giving you too many resources to where it seems like it doesn't matter but i'd love to see more of that it's even one of my problems with XCOM, the modern XCOM Firex's games is like by the time you get to the end of an XCOM campaign, you're basically just fielding teams of superhumans and can run the clock out as much as you want because right. you can just like be destroying dark sites over and over again in XCOM 2. I actually really need to play more Long War. I downloaded it when it uh, went into its like pre 1.0 version, I think is what it was at the time. And then I just never... I just got distracted and uh, never came back to it, but I should really look into that some more. Well, 
Well, the the issue with Log War Two was that uh, when the expansion came out, I think maybe the devs were burned out, and maybe the expansion just didn't like mesh with their vision. So uh, they didn't actually want to update Long War Two to incorporate the really fucking cool stuff from the uh, what was it called? War, War of the Chosen. Chosen? War of yeah. the Chosen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, so I was yeah, actually referring was, to Long War of the Chosen. Sorry. Oh yeah, and you know, eventually, uh, within the last year or two, some of the some people have actually like tried to put that together, um, but it's sort of hard to trust if the original deaths weren't those people. Um, but you know, it's, it's worth a try someday when, when we have a spare six months. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Easy to find. Yeah. If you could just put the whole world on hold, um, I'm going to apply for some grant money for the three moves ahead. Long war of the chosen, uh, research grants. So we don't have to work and then we can all just, uh, finish that campaign yeah. um, and talk about it. The, <laughs> the other important thing about the XCOM 2 modding scene is that people finally started actually having good hairstyles. Like mm. there was for like the first three years, there was like one modder who bothered actually having hairstyles that weren't like sub Dragon Age Inquisition that came with the original yeah. version. <laughs> um, they're like Nicktoons hairstyles is how I would describe the ones that shipped with the game. <laughs> Like, right. Uh, and and then there was like an actual variety of them. So if I ever went back to make, you know, uh, an updated version of my X-Men mod, uh, I would actually have potential options in a very exciting way. Um, this is this is the road specific niche interests for XCOM. Uh, <laughs> quarter of the show, I actually ended up subscribing to the one guy who was making hairstyles patreon for like a year and a half and i think he was only actually active for six months of that so i gave him like 60 bucks for literally nothing for a while oh nice uh, yeah i you know given how much entertainment and fulfillment yeah. i got out of it i can't say that it was actually like that bad of an investment uh, <laughs> supporting the arts you know yeah yes yeah. <laughs> i think that's Getting, uh, i think that's a service to the community for sure uh, yeah so to go back to steven's initial point about uh battletech being that that game about being on the move and trying to barely scratch uh, survival, the instant first reaction I have is Battle Brothers, um, mm. which I have been meaning to go back to. They've added a whole bunch of new stuff to it since the last time I played, including new starts. But you play as a mercenary company in a dark fantasy world, and like it starts out with your company gets the shit beat out of it, only three people are left, and you have to start rebuilding from there. And uh, the tactical combat is pretty good, but just the idea of living on the edge was always the most appealing thing about it. I found it was way better to play that on Iron Man or whatever they called it in the game uh, and just constantly lose. Like, 
run into a necromancer when you're not ready to deal with a necromancer constantly lose and just like <laughs> repeat that over and over i i don't know i just found it super satisfying like you know starting a new game of civilization and looking at how cool the map is and then you know getting a hundred turns in and realizing that you're kind of bored with actually how this map played out in reality and just doing that again uh it was like like that only with more of a narrative arc um but there is also like a full on long term RPG that can be played if you feel like doing the uh, not necessarily Iron Man or getting really good at the Iron Man. Um, the only really major issue with that, and it's not necessarily even a major issue, is that it's it's a little bean spirited. It's one of those mm. Eastern European games that's got a slight. It's like, oh, yeah, we're doing dark fantasy so we can be mean to people because that we can call it historically accurate thing. It's not that bad. It's not a, nowhere near as bad as some other games that I've played in that circle. But there's just little moments of, oh, come on, you didn't really need to do that. Yeah, gotcha. I, I still haven't played it either. And it was really kind of I just felt like the vibes were off. <laughs> like I wasn't yeah. a huge fan of the art style and um yeah, it, it it seemed like it might be that sort of a game. The, the art style is really interesting. And I think actually talking about it now, it sort of is like Wildermyth in that it's kind of this modular 2D art style that really works well for showing a bunch of different things happening, but is also kind of ugly to just look at initially. <clears throat> right. That was one See, of the I, things. Oh, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, you, you, you <laughs> haven't talked in a while. You go. I was just going to say um, that was like one of the hardest um, hurdles I had for myself personally, because I keep making this mistake and I've made it up enough times by now that you would think that I would learn any literally anything. But of course not, which is that if I see like an art style where I'm just like, I don't know, everybody's telling me this game is great, but this art style just doesn't do it for me. And then I actually just play the damn game and it's just like, oh, actually, this is great. I love this. And it totally makes sense in motion and in context. And Wildermyth was very much in that vein for me and it was one of the kind of the hurdles honestly to try and get more people who i knew would absolutely love that game to play it but yeah that like i don't i wish i had a better solution for that problem sometimes to be to be like i guess the option is to just tell more developers hey you should make gifts of things and show what your game <laughs> looks like in motion instead of just i've just gotta tell you it looks ugly static like by itself yeah Honestly, like anytime I get a PR email that actually has like an animated GIF of how the game looks in practice, I get so happy. That's like one of the simplest things that a developer or a PR person can do to mm -hmm. like actually make the game click in my head as this is a thing that I want or this is a thing that I don't want. Um, yeah <clears throat> darkest dungeon was that game for me like given how much darkest dungeon bullshit i have been a proponent of over the past what seven years now uh it's really funny that my initial reaction on seeing the kickstarter was eh, not yeah really my thing yeah that that game does not look great in static screenshots without like the really punchy animation sound design kind of you know synergy they have going on yeah um, that's honestly one day maybe an episode unto itself of like yeah the, the best games we played where we looked at it and went yeah. well, well famously uh the first time i booted up crusader kings 3 or crusader <laughs> kings 2 
I was like, this map is ugly. The units are ugly. The UI is ugly. When I send a guy to the next province, there's like this weird anti-alias snake arrow that fills up and then he teleports to the other side. This is, and I like closed it after like 30 minutes. And now I have like 2000 hours. It's my, it's my favorite game of all time. So every time I, I have the instinct to like turn my nose up at a game because I think it looks ugly, which even to this day, I would say Crusader Kings 2 is a pretty ugly game. <laughs> even, for when, even for when it came out, it was not like a great looking game. Um, and well, uh, Crusader Kings 3, which you sort of said initially here, I think is is instructive in that yeah. like that's a game that has that modular look that a game like Wildermyth or Battle Brothers is aiming for with a much higher budget. Um, right. But it has it in a way that comes across as extremely attractive. And some of that is like just, you know, these characters are framed against a map that's one of the most glorious maps ever put to video game screen. Uh, and, you know, Paradox learned slash got the budget but uh i think it's the two two in tandem that the art design is really really important and you can manage to get that flexibility with uh something that just looks fantastic like i i wonder yeah. what wildermyth would sell like if it had crusader kings 3's characters that's that's just sort of a thing that runs through my head when i think about it yeah then I guess like the, the the option or the solution that a lot of people take with that is just the like this is a game that I've uh, played very recently and I, I enjoy it, but it seems like it's very early access. So I haven't uh, put too much time into it yet. The Iron Oath um, definitely has like some unique character models and stuff. And what they've gone for is the hyper dense pixel art style. But that art style is so oversaturated for me, at least for me personally at this point, that yeah. it's just like it it almost is a turnoff at this point because it's just like i don't i can't tell this apart from the hyperlight drifter from dead cells from whatever you know whatever else happens to be out looking exactly like this it's like it looks like a game that devolver published i guess is the most reductive way to put it <laughs> yeah it's it's like there is um there I, there's a the, the youtuber sarah zed recently put out a video about um the geek culture of the 2010s where she talks about kind of like the rise and fall of the graphic tee that's like, oh, we're just going to put Boba Fett in Pulp Fiction, because why not? That's like two things, you know? Uh, I feel like games the, the with two SNES... two shirts. Right. Yeah. Games, modern games with like SNES graphics kind of feel that way to me now. Like it's it's so played out that it feels like we're trying to deliberately wink at a very specific window of nostalgia and like the game might be great, but like that art style is not a selling point for me at this point because it is so overdone. Right. <laughs> it, wait, is is this game good? This looks awesome. The Iron Oath. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's really cool. It's like I <laughs> I for some reason I just assumed that everybody on Three MA would already have known about this, but yeah, it's uh, it it like again, it's early access. It just launched into early access a couple of weeks ago, I think, but it is um. If you want that feeling of like a darkest dungeon esque type of thing, it literally does the like you go through the different tiles of a dungeon and then you camp and you use camp abilities and then you move on and you recruit new characters. And it is actually one of the 
touchstones that I used with you, Rowan, because uh, I remember you tweeting about a book series by Glenn Cook, The Black Company, uh, years ago. And I was like, oh, I've got a bunch of Audible credits. So I should probably use them. <laughs> I ended up listening to it. And actually, there is some there is some Black Company-esque like, well, we're a mercenary company that's gotten really screwed up by a bunch of magic assholes and stuff. So I guess we should probably figure out what to do next and make some money. There's a whole management layer of um, the people that you bring into your party. It's not like it's like Darkest Dungeon in the sense that you're like pulling in whoever is available, um, whoever came in on the stagecoach, as it were. But you actually have to like negotiate yearly contracts for them and keep them in uh, with you and stuff. And eventually they will retire and leave. It's a very cool game. And, but you said it was pretty early access. Yeah, it's just um, it, I don't th- I don't think it's like buggy or anything like that. I just like it, it feels like a f- actually fairly story driven type of game. And I am usually pretty reticent to get too deep into anything that has a lot of uh, it, it, the, here's the thing. But yeah, like when I say it's like very story heavy, it's like surprisingly dialogue dense. It's like got a lot of talking. Um, and I'm always really reticent to play too much of that stuff in early access because I just know I'm going to have to replay it all again in two years or whatever and button through the dialogue again. Um, but so far, it feels like it's, it's still a fairly well-balanced and, and interesting game. I just don't know where the uh, narrative ends up going yet. Yeah, that does look really cool. For 12 months. 12 months, okay. And, and, and yeah, it does also seem like this is this art style is like yeah this is neat but also i don't know i did play star renegades i did play Uh, so i'm actually looking at the screenshots now that you've said that and i'm remembering why i in my head i think of it as very early access if you look at the uh skill trees for your characters bunch of skill trees kind of a lot of cool abilities for different classes there's like the pyro lancer is one of the classes uh because they use like a actually more like a glaive uh, i guess or like a twin blade or something but have a bunch of pyromancy skills but currently just a bunch of those skills just have like locks on them and it says not available in the early access build or something like that and it's just like well okay if i'm if you're gonna have all this customization that you're gonna threaten me with a good time and then not give it to me then i yeah i'd rather just come back yeah i i i could totally see that because it does look like the skills are like the coolest thing here it says similar to games you've played pathfinder yeah. kingmaker and battle brothers <laughs> yeah uh-huh. for me it has chaos gate and expeditions room i it looks like mike williams did bring this up really briefly on the discord at one point but i think I don't think we'd actually discussed it. So, yeah, something to look at um, for sure. Uh, the other thing that, that that made me think about was was Cantata, which John just did an interview with the developers mm. a couple of weeks ago, where they they very deliberately went with an art style that I think is inevitably going to put some people off of it, but is like very deliberately trying to be very different from other similar strategy games and like the art style they typically go for. For sure. Um, Which I think it's always a gamble because some people are just going to see that and be like, this is like some Technicolor, you know, acid trip weirdness and they're not going to be interested. But I think people who are tired of sort of the standard uh, tactical 
you know, uh, isometric art style might, uh, might actually see that as a selling point. And I'm curious how that actually balances yeah. out in terms of. Yeah. It's interest. like this bisexual PC. <laughs> yes. Nineties throwback. Like for this sure. Is, this is a game that I played on my computer, not on the, the super Nintendo, mm-hmm. which, uh, I don't know. It's, it's I think it's the sort of thing that like I've seen other games kind of pointed in this direction and it may be the 2020s version of excessive pixel art but it's it's very raw it's nice. fury like like this yeah. very, it looks like a raw fury game to me yeah yes it's so, sort of become their aesthetic is neon 90s pc game type speaking of which they they just announced a version of kingdoms set in the <laughs> 80s they're doing their their kingdoms blood dragon version i know that is also extremely raw theory i did not know that but i'm not surprised even a little bit yeah uh, I, I liked the i liked the trailer of the discord and i was like how on earth is this supposed to work and then it showed the little guy riding his horse by except instead of riding his horse he was riding a bmx and i was like that's how it works there we yeah. go we've got him. <laughs> oh that's that's great oh yeah uh actually a game that i've been playing recently that i actually kind of I haven't played a ton of it, but I'm using it as a segue to uh, go back to something you were talking about, Rowan. Uh, played a little bit of Dune Spice Wars, which is just Northgard, really, if you all haven't played it yet. Uh, has a look to it that is uh, very almost Civ 6 ish in some ways, like a very good 3D models, very smooth, very sculpted kind of looking. But I know you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about Civ 6 at some point, too. Yeah. Um... Uh, Lynn did did a show on Spice Wars, I believe. So oh, yeah, maybe talk a, a bit weeks ago, about John, that. John was or uh, Fraser was very hard on it. <laughs> he really he really didn't like it, but John and I both really liked it, uh, or I really liked it, and John at least liked it. Um, uh, it is very similar to Civ Six in that it's yeah very readable kind of three D art style. That's yeah. Uh, sort of stylized uh but also semi-realistic um and uh yeah yeah it's yeah. i mean you, you can hear a lot more of my thoughts on it by going to uh idlethumbs.net slash 3ma and listening to our dune spice wars episode but uh did anybody uh, mention and maybe this is just my opinion or like i'm the weirdo here how weird it is that a, a major license based on like a hollywood blockbuster ostensibly is launching into early access this just seems like so <laughs> funny and weird to me that like 90 percent of the games we've just discussed cantata the iron oath uh-huh. dune spice wars all of this stuff is just in early access perpetually it feels like you can't release a uh, strategy game or a tactics game or a management game just into 1.0 it just doesn't happen yeah when they told me they they actually had been working on spice wars since before um the 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 denisville new movie was even announced oh interesting so and they i guess they did kind of tweak the art style a little bit to fall sort of in line with the movie a little bit um not that dune is like i don't know that there's like too many different ways you can <laughs> interpret like arrakis at least <laughs> um there's there's definitely some of the wackier elements of the setting you can decide if you want to go more of the dark 
dark gritty modern interpretation or the wacky 80s interpretation but listen uh, i need to see a human face <laughs> on a giant worm otherwise yeah. i want a refund no do it cowards like do the weird ones don't just stop at the first two books we want to see a bunch of jason momoa clones uh running around and you know, <laughs> like people being hijacked using their genetic material to serve as a host for one of their ancestors and all that all that weirdness um sorry if i I'm do spoiling. not endorse any of this <laughs> sorry if i'm spoiling uh <laughs> plot points from like god emperor of dune but it, it gets very weird if you've only seen if you've only seen even if you've only seen like like the kyle mclaughlin movie you've seen about 10 percent of the weirdness iceberg of the dune universe oh yeah um they, yeah. they, I, I don't know how his name is pronounced. I'm so sorry. The the director of the most recent Dune movie, I know he was out there basically saying, oh, we're only going to adapt the first two movies and like absolutely yeah. fucking cowardice. That's what that is. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, did I have? I, I, I mean, the early access thing is one that we've come back to in large part because right. John is so angry at it. And it's... <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's also a thing that Lynn and I did a show on. Like we did a show on kind of the the business of releasing strategy games, and early access is obviously a major part of that. And then also right. how to how to support a game after supposed launch. But yeah, when when we talk about the games that you you wanted your recommendations for, we're talking about the early access genre, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you could call it that. You could and fairly think, accurately call it that, huh? Yeah. I, I think it's really it's it's something that like that sense of danger needs to be tweaked constantly. Yeah, it needs to it needs to not be too hard. It needs to not be too easy. It needs to have feedback to the players. And like at a certain level, you just aren't going to get that with in-house testing. You you need to have that out there. And that's also a dangerous thing because like, you know, I may be looking at this iron oath on steam right now and being like holy shit this looks like my dream game even if the art style is maybe a little played out at this point but uh oh maybe i'll come back when early access is done and then when early access comes out like maybe i just completely miss a review or the reviews are a little mixed yeah uh, because people have been playing the early access the whole time had something changed slightly and now they hate it uh or they added you know, corpses like, god damn it um Oxygen not included, like when they two months before they released, decided to switch how character progression worked in a way that made me just like say, no, thank you. Not my oh. style anymore. Um, and like if I'd reviewed that game, then I probably would have given it, you know, a lower score and been less excited about it because it had that issue. And like that's just that's just one of the issues with early access. Phantom Brigade is a game that we have been very excited about ever since it first got shown. It was, you know, completely took over the last packs before the the pandemic, I believe. Yep. And it came out in early access like a year and a half ago. And I've never actually heard someone say, now is definitely the time to play Phantom Brigade. You should get on that. I, I don't know maybe Fan, i never will phantom brigade is my perennial like game that i like to complain about to uh former fanbite intern now at waypoint uh renata price um 
she and I talk about this sort of thing all lot actually. And like Phantom Brigade is my like perennial like early access game where I'm just like it's one of a couple, I guess, but it's like one of the biggest ones for me where I'm like, I'm just looking at that roadmap and waiting for that one feature that they've been talking about for a year and a half. And I'm trying not to play the game because I, it's a really cool game and I love the system and everything like that. But I know I'm going to like it better once it adds pilot progression and and like rivalries and stuff like that they've, they've been talking about. And there's just none of that in the game right now. It's all what? very logistical. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, okay. Now I know what I'm waiting for too. But yeah. also, but also, there are early access games that I have just gone all in on and will happily play every new incarnation of it. Darkest Dungeon, mm. obviously, uh, but uh, Against the Storm, which is one of the games I recommended to you, uh, not quite in the management realm, but in the kind of um, lower level city builder. Uh, you're still dealing with individual citizens, even if their personalities don't really matter that much. Um, right. But, you know, I've played like three different incarnations of it and I'll get excited about another patch or feel like I want I want a game that provides me with that like two hour city builder uh, that only against the storm does without, you know, you dying. Um, and that uh, so, yeah, it's. It's just like, you know, it's like uh, this is also sort of the journalist's issue where if I weren't trying to keep track of every strategy game, it would be absolutely <laughs> fine for me to pick one early access game a year. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Go all in on it. But like now I have people, you know saying that um patron is great or going medieval got like a whole bunch of rave rave uh initial early access reviews and like these games are like potentially things i could throw myself into but will i i don't know only one of them gets the crown and that might just be which one has an art style that i happen to like when i click on it uh and in a particular mood and that's just that's just a casualty of how these games work. They're supposed to take over your life and you can't have too many things taking over your life at once. Right. And I mean, I've got a, a Steam Deck pretty recently. And one of the first things I did was like, oh, I'm so excited to you because it, it makes theoretically this kind of thing much more easy to fit into my life if I can just play it from bed or play it from the couch and not have to sit in front of my computer all day. This is the thing I talk about on Fanbyte stuff a lot. It's just like, I am sitting in front of my computer all day, every day, streaming and podcasting, writing nonstop. The last thing I want to do when the day is over is just continue to sit that exact same chair in my office. And so I'm like, oh, finally, I'll be able to mess around with all this stuff. And it's like, oh, right. None of these games work with controllers. If I'm if I'm playing this, I'm going to just be using the touchscreen and it's doable, but it's not optimal it's not the same thing it's not the smooth uh brain experience that i would enjoy just if i was clicking away clicking away the smooth brain experience there you go lit there's our title yeah i mean that's that's just this podcast in general yeah uh, that's the segue i needed for talking about civ 6 because <laughs> yeah uh, there we go we got there we got there eventually yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean the art. The art style is great. The art style has always been great. But no, I, 
I was moving recently, so I was packing my computer up for a week or two and like, all right, let's let's check out what's on sale on the Switch. Oh, uh, the original Civ 6 was like seven bucks, eight bucks. Mm, mm-hmm. Like that's that is worth worth enough just to see what it's like on the Switch. And I got it and it feels so good on the Switch. Like, I'm not sure I'm actually playing it that differently, but it just like. My main issues with civilization are often in like picking the size of the map, picking the number of of characters and like on the Switch, uh, you know, you're doing a small map with six, six empires and that's going to be sufficient. and then just like moving around the map using the the left and the right sticks usually feels just right. Uh, it's also like I know that I'm using these sticks and I'm not bouncing around instantly with my mouse. So my my need for precision is kind of down. So it's like I can just kind of admire going around the map and like let the art style, which is always one of that game's biggest strengths, wash over me a little bit more figure out you know the right zoom and just be looking at it like some parts of that are are issues like on the pc it's a lot easier to see um the thing where it tells you which which tiles are being worked and which aren't because there are different animations and different graphics for those um that's that's a little harder to see here but like also not seeing that makes it easier to not min max and not mid maxing makes Civ a lot more fun. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've yeah, never, I, in like twenty something years of playing Civilization, I never pay attention to which tiles are being worked, and that's part of why. It's like more population, good, more improvements, good. You guys can figure out what you want to do <laughs> with them. So, yeah. Uh, I've been playing pretty much exclusively in handheld mode, uh, which does mean that like I can tap on the screen when I need to like mm. say, oh, yes, I need some precision here. So that part, um, you know, I, I can't say this recommendation works as well for the TV. I'm not even sure I would bother trying it on the TV because I have a relatively small TV and just know that I won't be able to read a damn thing. Oh, uh, sure. But yeah, it's. It's also, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be on every version of Civ 6, but it's the first time I've noticed it, not having played since I think the Rise and Fall expansion came out. Or maybe it was Gathering Storm, whichever one was second. Um, They have added a new map type called the Seven Seas, which is like a land map that includes a whole bunch of like inland lakes and oceans or seas you know and uh as lynn said on the discord it's like it's like an inverted great lakes uh huh or no an inverted archipelago a a lot yeah large islands was the one i was thinking of yeah (laughs) um and it just like it has exactly the right mix of the things i want on a civilization map at a level that i I'm pretty much amazed by like this is it the navies aren't useless like they are in a lot of the like full <laughs> land maps. Uh they're they're you they're useful in kind of a Mediterranean. This is this is one absolutely essential lake between uh two two different empires, or they're, you know, a fun place to build if you've got a seafaring civilization. So yeah, it's it's definitely a different experience and it, you know, 
reframes how I think of Civ Six in interesting ways. It's not necessarily changing my, you know, restarting the game that I was talking about a lot, but I also am feeling like less urge to play it in a perfect way, uh, which is my main problem with the series going back to uh, non-modded Civ 4. Now, I know one issue I ran into with the... um, I played the PS4 version of Stellaris, and I played it on a PS4 Pro, which this was before PS5 was out, and it couldn't... Like, it can't run at what is, like, the maximum 5-speed on a PC. Um, so I'm curious about on the switch, which, you know, doesn't have the greatest CPU, like are the end turn times pretty reasonable? Um, the furthest I've gotten is like a mostly, you know, two thirds filled in map on, on tiny with like six total civilizations. So not, not absolutely massive, but, um, it doesn't feel significantly different than my PC, which I think maybe says more about the game on PC than it does actually the Switch. Because <laughs> uh, like one of the things that I always wanted to balance and try to get right was having a, a, a map that felt like it was filled in at the right level without it completely bogging down. And uh, this is a game that, you know, I don't feel like it's gotten to the point where it's too much of a pain in the ass. There is one weird thing where I'm not sure, again, no idea if this is a switch thing or uh, added in a added overall, probably added overall, but I noticed it as like a specific downloadable content was they have a mechanic now where barbarian villages, if they survive long enough and or like kill enough units, will turn into minor cities. Oh. Yeah, yeah that and was that added. It, it's a game option that was added with the new Frontier Pass. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really neat, except that this includes, like, every barbarian village that's, like, off in the middle of the tundra or in the middle of the desert and, like, turns into a completely useless city. And there's, like, 10 of those in addition to the regular uh, minor cities and it's it's a very strange thing depending on the map but hmm. it's it's a pretty cool concept that i just wish that i could i could mod a little bit not a not a thing i can do with the switch but uh yeah i feel like that may be adding to the in turn times because now there are you know 20 minor cities instead of 10 and they all have to have their diplomatic stuff arranged uh so yeah, that's that's a potential issue, but I haven't gotten to the end game where it's terrible yet. Yeah, I'm I'm also really curious to because CK three actually has a console port now, but it's current gen only. It's Series X and S and uh, PS five, which I mean, good luck still at this point getting one of those. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see how those, how that would play, uh, on, on like a controller because, uh, there's, there's been, you know, this big furor over how Paradox is mobile gamifying their, their interfaces. And, and I just think that they're just making them better. 
overall, <laughs> and people see that as being making them more like mobile games. Um, I mean, oh yeah. <laughs> When we're talking about paradox, yeah, this, yeah. this tracks every part of this tracks. Yeah, because um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very inf- information dense game, but so is Civ, and if Civ works pretty well on a Switch in handheld mode, I don't really see why a game like like CK three couldn't. Um, and I, I, uh, yeah, I feel like it's. Maybe I need to play CK3 again, but definitely with Paradox games before then, there's a lot more like read very small text and then uh, kind of like make a selection from a list. Yes, that's true. Whereas Civ, uh, you know, somewhat with five and then a lot with six is increasingly just like, yeah, build your shit on vibes, man. Just. <laughs> Steven, have you played any like really text heavy strategy games on the Steam Deck? Because I'm curious how that works out. Yeah, I mean, I tried. I w- and it's moderately text heavy, but I, I tried to play um, Stellaris actually because the new expansion just came out. Mm-hmm. So, Very good. Yeah, it's a good expansion. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty meaty, uh, Overlord, and uh, it's just not. Like there's probably some UI finagling I could do with it, but it's like literally like something about the resolution or the aspect ratio or something of the Steam Deck just pushes all the text off screen in weird ways um, where Mm. it's just like literally some of the text is just like unreadable um, and certain UI elements just get pushed off altogether, uh, which is odd because that game literally has a console version that is, uh, you know, a basically a completely different game in a lot of ways it's it's many patches behind many expansions behind compared to everything else so it seems like it's not a problem that they have been able to solve in particular over there but yeah it's just not it it hasn't worked great to be completely honest um i'm trying to think of like i because i've been looking and trying for a bunch of that stuff but really i haven't found anything that has done exactly what i want on steam deck oh i tried arguably not a strategy game necessarily but i did try uh baldur's gate enhanced edition on there as well and it was a similar thing of just like it's so tiny on screen sometimes and there's no actual way natively with the steam deck to just zoom in um, oh yeah yeah so yeah, it's, some it's, of those like yeah. older older isometric games like where you were having to squint at them even on <laughs> like a crt back in the day so right <laughs> yeah I, don't, I wonder if like if text to speech could be a solution to that because that also just increases the accessibility of the pc versions too yeah i don't think that they have the voice acting budget that they could like have somebody read out every single possible version of every event especially in ck3 where the the event text is is super super dynamic if you look under the hood um there's so many variables based on like where in the world you're located and like what your religion is and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like text to speech is getting better and I could see that maybe being a solution to this as opposed to just the Civ style where it's like, we're, we're just not going to make you read a bunch of text here. You, <laughs> you achieved a great historic moment. Here's a nice little sketch of your dudes sailing across the ocean. That's, you know, thumbs up. Good, good on you there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the. 
I'm I'm sure it's it's one of those things where it's like sitting here in my stupid gaming chair in Fargo, North Dakota. I'm sure it like seems like a very easy problem to solve, <laughs> but I'm sure like for for the actual developers, it's like you know put doing anything with this would push this thing out of the way, would push this thing out of the way and fuck this up and screw this up. And it just feels like to me a little bit weird that uh, there can't be just the thing. Can't I just have a thing where the dialogue boxes are bigger on screen and then I scroll down through larger text? <laughs> like, uh, and some of these games already do that on on PC, but um, there's no option. <laughs> to. Well, the, the example that I'm thinking of in my head is literally... Uh, Final Fantasy 14 of all games has a really good solution for this, which is just if you're playing with that uh, controller on that game and playing on a TV, most likely, um, if you go over to a dialogue box, uh, you know, dialogue in terms of menus, in terms of anything, um, in other characters speaking or whatever, and just press in the right stick uh, Mm -hmm. during that time, it just like cycles through 150 times zoom or percent zoom 200 percent zoom 300 percent zoom and then back to the original 100 percent uh zoom yeah. so you can just be like okay i can't quite make out that word click 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 oh, okay that's what they're saying and then click it back down yeah i play ff14 on pc mostly with a controller just because i think that game feels better with a controller same uh yeah especially the combat um I got my cross, my cross hot bars all set up and I just think it's it feels so much more like a console action game as opposed to a standard MMO. Wouldn't Hell yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, Love to hear a correct opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a learning curve. But yeah, I think it speaks to how you can take a very complex game and make it, you know, fairly easy to use and, and fun to play on a controller and strategy games, certainly. I mean, that is one thing I was impressed with by the Stellaris console port is how well they were able to translate all those menus to a gamepad because I was very skeptical about that. And I think it works because it's a real time with pause game. And um, I don't know that it would work really well in in a non pausable game because it, it does take longer to translate what you want to do into inputs. But it's it's fairly easy to use, uh, all things considered. So, well, th- this is another thing that I was super impressed by with the Civ Six port is that like I remember when the the Steam Link and the Steam Controller came out, one of the first things I wanted to do was like, all right, let's see how this actually works with a, a strategy game. Like, if this is going to take the place of a mouse, can it actually work that way? And so I, you know, started up with Civ Five, and it was just like it felt like the entire game was fighting me. It was yeah. like, no, this is not, this is not for that. Um, and Civ six on the switch feels like, Oh, this is exactly for this. I can do the things I want. Like some of this is advantages because I know the way the game works because I played on PC and I know when I'm just going to have to tap the screen and that's okay. But uh, yeah, it, doesn't feel like it's fighting me at all. And that's kind of astonishing when you consider, you know, how deeply embedded in in PC that that game has been. Yeah. Or that series. That that's a perfect way of describing basically like almost my entire experience with the Steam Deck for any game that is not just like 100 percent fully controller supported. Like Steam has currently that whole thing where it's like um a game can be Steam Deck verified, Steam Deck 
playable and then like unsupported or something like that. And it's just like any game that doesn't have that green check mark where it's just like, nope, this is 100% fully playable. Even if it says like playable, according to Valve, that feeling of just like, oh, this is this is fighting me like this is the the sensitivity of the fake touchpad doesn't feel right the way that like how precise i need to be with my finger or with the stick to click on a scroll wheel or a, a scroll bar rather um is too finicky it's just it's just everything about it is just like i, I can't do this and if it has controller support it's fantastic but if it doesn't have any kind of proper sub- controller support at all it's just like a light uh, switch has been flipped. It's just night and day. Yeah. And you know, that's even if that is like 10 to 15% of games on steam, that's several hundred relevant games and probably thousands of games that are uh, just kind of there. And, and you can actually find them the games unlike that, on the Nintendo eShop. <laughs> yeah. So, it's not necessarily the games that I definitely want to be playing. So, you know, I I, I can see that really working for just kind of zoning out and letting it come to you. But also like, oh, man, I really want to scratch that battle tech itch, but yeah. also use a controller. And uh, I guess this leads us back to Demon Hunters. Oh, <laughs> well, so my question to both of you is, uh, is it worth it? that um, every developer is uh, dumbing down and ruining strategy games to make this possible. Uh, mm, hell okay. yes. <laughs> but not because, not because the interface is better, but because it pisses off really annoying people. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, is this a is this a big giant argument? Is it, is everybody saying like, oh, if it's if a icon is more than three hundred pixels wide, then this game is for babies? Is that a I, thing that's been bandied about? I can say there was a thread with, and I have my hand over my forehead right now, um, <laughs> on the Victoria Three subreddit about how the fact that they were using big circular buttons meant that they were developing this game specifically to port it to mobile, and that's why it's dumb and bad. <laughs> so big circular buttons, that's baby shit. They're just play schoolifying strategy games. And for that's, sure, uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> now, if Again, one right. thing I, that, that should surprise nobody who's <laughs> familiar with that sector of the Paradox community, but uh, yeah. If there's one thing I know about mobile gamers it's that they really want to have complex trade routes oh, oh yeah, yeah for sure yeah yeah the, the vicky fandom is definitely way into just yeah. playing games on their phone yeah yeah every time i log into ebony i'm looking at what interest groups are uh, supported by which pops based on their standard of living uh yeah so speaking of interest groups and populations <laughs> This is a wonderful segue to the last thing I think I, we definitely wanted to talk about and yeah. I've forgotten about until now. But uh, we saw a game come out recently called Capital with a K, you know, like uh, like like the cool way, like Marx would say it. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was a city builder that was like 
based on class tensions and the way that it was described made us look, you know, we were pretty mm-hmm. fucking excited about this. And you actually tried it, Lynn. And uh, how did that go? Because it doesn't sound like it's going to turn into a show anytime soon. <laughs> I don't think I don't think there's enough here right now to make a show about. Um, I can tell you immediately uh this took about 15 seconds for me to realize, oh, that's what we're dealing with here is uh, I load up the game. I load up the tutorial and uh, I look at my population and uh, it says uh, workers, 50 people, petite bourgeoisie, 25 aristocrats, 25. So fully half of the population uh... is- Represented by the the middle and upper class, and they need like as much housing as the workers do. And um, also, it's just like it's way too easy to meet everyone's needs. Like they put they 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 have this pop up on the screen when you load it up. That's like people will die. You cannot meet everyone's needs. You're going to have to make hard choices, and then you never have to do that. If you're good at city builders. You're just like, everyone's got what they need. Everyone's happy. This is great. Post-scarcity society, we're done. Uh, I did it. I did communism. I solved. There's no class tension because everybody has enough food and everybody has housing and healthcare and education. Uh, Good job, team. Uh, Yeah, it's the end of history. Uh, What else can I say? So, um, Oh, good. So it's it's a great game. (laughs) <laughs> in its current state it has some issues i think i'm pretty sure it is early access um like as, yeah, i'm looking like, at it now and if it's yeah. if I'm looking at the right one it is not <laughs> it's not early yeah. access okay <laughs> i don't know it well, is mixed, right every review is even if it's not uh, mick all the bad reviews are are obviously coming from uh revisionists and reactionaries right that should yeah, yeah, be yeah, overwhelmingly yeah. positive no also, multiple spelling errors in some of the assets <laughs> as far as i can tell uh yeah the, the word occasion is written incorrectly in one of the primary screenshots well and it's just like the way that you like place and layout buildings is like we figured out how to do this better in like sim city 2000 um, <laughs> it's it's like speaking of early 90s um yeah, like it's just annoying and clunky from an interface. I, I don't. I I wanted this game to be way more interesting than it was. I mean, um, so this is a this game. If anyone like hears this and goes to this Steam page, uh, this is a good example of what we were talking about earlier. Where I'm like scrolling down, and there are these wonderful little gifs of people throwing Molotovs at a palace, and I'm like, God, this game looks so good. So yeah, have have gifs of revolution in your vein, yeah. and yeah, it'll get past any level of any level of bad <laughs> press, including no press. Although, as you can see, which this is another hilarious thing, in that first video, that first trailer, the very first shot, the people who are throwing the Molotovs at the palace, that's the workers, you can tell by their clothing color, and the petite bourgeoisie and the aristocrats. <laughs> So it's not really class. Uh, it's not really class tension, is it? Because they're all mad. Uh, <laughs> who's actually in charge here? Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really wanted to like it. Um, it's it's not really about 
capital. I don't think it's, I mean, I, I, I've played survival city builders that are much more about class tension, even if that's not explicitly what they're about than, uh, than I have, than this one was, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, and, well, it's like <laughs> every building. Also, this is this is another reason. This is this is uh, ML propaganda. Is that every building naturally builds up corruption, no matter what? And the only way to reduce corruption is to have more police. So this is clearly Ofcom uh, ah. agitprop. So <laughs> you can't just meet people's needs and have them not be corrupt. They will become corrupt unless you have the secret police go check on every industrial building on a regular basis. I see. <laughs> so there are like two major issues here that I think, you know, maybe we could turn these into a show later. But like the first is that this is a game that like advertises about being collapse about collapse. It's about, you know, a revolution happening. It's about protests and riots. And it's like advertising how cool these are. And you look at the screen, it's like, oh my God, I want to, you know, have people go burn down these aristocrats palaces or apparently join in the aristocrats to build down their own palaces. Um, but like that means that your city has failed. So yeah, right. What are we actually building towards here? Right. Like, are you, are you, are we trying to min max it? So these things don't happen or, you know, is there a game where you can actually manipulate events so that the protests are good? I don't know. That's, that's a really complicated thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, going along with that, the second thing is that as soon as you create a rule for how these things are supposed to behave and put that into a game, that rule is going to be something that can be exploited or made fun of. Yeah. Um, we're, we're recording this like two hours after this, this Activision Blizzard King thing has come oh, out about, you know, raining no, no. every aspect of diversity. And it's like, we, yeah, this when you do that with like what the proletariat wants or how to stop corruption or what police actually do, then you're saying this is a thing that is actually how it works. You're taking, you're taking something that's not a data point and making it a data point and then having that be something that people will exploit in order to beat your game. Right. Um, And that's, it would be so exciting if we could have a game that like did all this under the hood, but somehow made it work in a way that was entertaining and not completely opaque to us as players. But it might, that might just be an impossible dream. But it's uh, like, I also, I also hope Victoria three will be good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's well, like, you know, the thing with Victoria three is that it's complicated enough that having these tensions going through your, your nation is something that can actually be potentially, um, not necessarily potentially good, but potentially open doors or the game will automatically have it so that these doors can be opened without necessarily destroying your entire enjoyment of the game. Whereas a game that's just about balancing class tensions, when you do it, you're not going to start a riot. Um, so, yeah, that because it's more complicated, I have a little bit more hope with Victoria on this level. But you also have situations where, like, they're saying, this is how the world works. This is how trade works. Therefore, everything in the game is going to manifest around, like, these these certain fulcrums of mechanics when they're actually about people. 
So in conclusion, I guess play tabletop games with a really good GM. <laughs> uh I mean, the way that I think about it, too, to a certain degree, is I was just watching the other night a video about like the original Virtua Fighter like console port. And I was like, there's a funny bit in the video where the person basically discovers that the AI is just not good at dealing with a particular character using a throw. And you can just like walk up to the edge of the map and use the throw and it's a backwards throw so they just get wrung out they just get like a ring out and it's an instant win every single time which that is a very visually easy way to show something very funny and ridiculous uh, that uh, that is a representation of something that in real life is much more complex and and deep and interesting in the form of something like martial arts right and that we it is funny to us visually because it is so clear cut a, a, a person can look at that see well this is obviously not how that would work in real life and that's why it's funny because it's the absurdity of the thing with strategy games it's tougher because a lot of the times when you're doing that exact thing of just like oh i figured out that if i just sell fuel over and over to these rebels over and over and over again i can become a billionaire because they're fuel resources never run out you know i'm making up an example but something like that you it's not as you know obvious and like able to tickle the brain in that way that's something very visual that just instantaneously you know is wrong because you know how a human body moves in a way that you just don't necessarily uh organically understand the way that trade routes and uh different uh, differences in opinions between factions work so you can it's the it equally as ridiculous but there is in the strategy and you see this with a lot of like strategy game fans who are perhaps not super self-aware about things like capitalism and stuff like that all the time where they think well this is how capitalism works in real life it works just like in here in stellaris or whatever <laughs> i just infinitely generate energy credits uh, out of a uh, magic uh well and as long as the people who need that stuff are getting it if, if i'm selling yeah. it people are getting it and everybody's happy you say this as if it's only like random strategy game fans, but I'm pretty sure this is actually uh, our government and major corporations approach to dealing with climate <laughs> oh, change. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, energy credits. Yeah, yeah that'll work. Uh, energy credits. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was actually thinking when you were talking about this, this is a good explanation for like, the Hearts of Iron 4 fan who goes on Twitter and pontificates about what Hitler needed to do with, to win the war. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Which is always, always solid gold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, just, I've, you know, just take Leningrad in the, in the first six months. Like, that's all it took. Yeah, that's, it worked for me. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the non-strategy game, real-world version of that is just Democrats watching The West Wing. Yeah. So... <laughs> I mean, if Hearts of Iron 4 was accurate, the answer is just to build more fighters. If you build enough fighters, you win the game. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, just more airplanes would have, you know, that's all they needed to do. But uh, before we get out of here, uh, Steven, do you have anything lately that you want to plug that you think uh, 3MA listeners would find particularly interesting? Oh, yeah. Um, I was 
two things. I think other than just like the stuff that I write on the website, which I try to do more. I've actually been trying to do a little bit more strategy game coverage on, on a couple of different things. It's one of the reasons that I asked Rowan yesterday for recommendations and stuff to check out. But uh, you can always go to fanbyte.com for that. You can also listen to our podcast, uh, 99 Potions, which is a RPG focused podcast, but I, I try to take a lot of uh, systems heavy look at a bunch of different things just because that's who I am. And I also uh, tend to show off a lot of weird strategy ish and strategy adjacent type stuff that my coworkers don't care about whatsoever on uh, <laughs> my uh, Friday uh, sort of variety stream couch surf where we all of us, just a whole bunch of us get together, play a bunch of different games back to back and then uh, clock out for the week. Awesome. And uh, and where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Steven Strom, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-T-R-O-M. Ron, do you have anything recently that uh, that uh, you want to plug? I have a brand new podcast, Total Cashacre. It's the heist movie podcast uh, where we discuss Ocean's Eleven as our very first (laughs) episode. That's also the our forty forty first episode. Yeah, I I rebranded my action movie (laughs) podcast for a couple months. Uh, We're going to be doing Fantastic Mr. Fox and A Mission Impossible next for for fun heisty times. Awesome. And uh, yeah, you can listen. Uh, That's at total underscore mass underscore pod or or search your favorite podcast thing for Total Massacre. And if it happens to be Spotify or Apple, it will show up. Um, that first Mission Impossible movie, real under underappreciated, I think, sometimes. Yeah, uh, we're trying to get robbed for that. So uh, it'll be it'll be partially a 3MA. Um, and, it's always, uh, you can always find- a challenge to get robbed, <laughs> get Rob, but we're happy when we can get him, yeah. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Rowan Kaiser, all one word, uh, R-W-A-N-K-A-I-S-E-R. And I'm in Portland now. Uh, that's exciting yeah. life news. How oh, you liking yeah. it? I can walk to places. I don't need a car. Uh, so it's amazing. I love I love Portland. I've only been to visit, but I've been several times and I have had fun. So, Yeah. Um, going, I'm actually going now that I think about it. I just realized I'm going to Portland in like two weeks or three weeks or something. Very, well, very good local fun. beer scene. It's not all IPAs. Um, ah. Yeah. So I like that. Try about not it. to get COVID and we can hang out. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's listen. If I had a choice, I wouldn't be getting on a plane whatsoever. But uh, in the meantime, I'm trying my hardest not to get it. I've dodged yeah. it so far. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I I I suspect I may have had it at one point and just had a mild case, but I don't know at this point. Um, so uh, yeah, I was actually on um, another uh, friend of the show, sort of RPG podcast uh, that you may have heard of, called Acts of the Blood Cod. Yeah, um, I was actually on two episodes <laughs> in the same week. I was on their a normal episode and also one of their Patreon episodes about isometric computer rpgs or crpgs as the kids call them um so if you don't get enough of me on that sh- this show you can go listen to that that as well um there are too many ahead. rpg podcasts we need to yeah. cut down a few yeah <laughs> we just need to assimilate them we need to <laughs> we need to annex all of the rpg podcasts uh uh we're, we're coming for you listen uh, 
our definition of RPG is so loose at this point that it's basically just the and especially since like uh, Channel F, our our kind of main gaming podcast has been taken over by Merit and she's turned Uh it into a just total weirdo game show. Whose line is it anyway? Type of thing Um, that Night Night Potions is, is for everybody. Well, when we've when we've discussed in the past doing some kind of RPG thing that's three MA adjacent, one of the biggest topics is is everything an RPG now? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, like, yeah, that's it's it's kind of a hard thing to define, especially if that's like your branding for a specific show or a specific column. Um, yeah, uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can go check us out and j- join the discussion on the forums, which is still happening. There's still people on there at uh, idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. Um, we're also listener supported by awesome people like you on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash 3MA uh, for as little as a dollar. If you think you got a dollar's worth of entertainment out of 3MA this month, We'd appreciate it. $5 and up. You can hear Rob and Troy's um, movie pod special episodes. Uh, We actually posted the most recent one, the Gettysburg one, which is very good on the main feed just to give you a a taste of uh, what you can get at that uh, $5 and up level. And um, uh, Twitter, we're at 3MA, where you can follow us over there. so we'll be back next week with um, a, a familiar voice, a couple familiar voices and a very good discussion that we recorded uh, a little bit ago, uh, including a little bit of an announcement going along with it uh, that I think uh, I think you guys are going to be excited about. Um, but until then, for Stephen and for Rowan, this is Len saying good night. <laughs>